Welcome to the Saving Grace Adventist Church Sermon Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed by the Word of God. What else can I say? He will do it again. Don't you know God does not change? Don't you know God does not change? And as Pastor told you, I'm here, Pastor Harding, because he did it again. Pastor Harding told you briefly about when I first met him. I had been flown to Jamaica from here in an air ambulance because I had been paralyzed mysteriously. Nobody knew what had happened. I, I couldn't pass my urine. I couldn't do anything. I had no feeling, nowhere, could not move. When Pastor Harding came in to pray for me at the hospital. I remember one doctor telling my husband that, get used to it. She's never going to walk again. (laughs) Well, we got a God in heaven, don't we? We have a God who takes a different spin on things. And I'm just so grateful today for who God is. That's really what it is about. It's not about my prayer, your words, what you do. It's just about who God is. And that's what I'm grateful for today. I want to thank everybody for the church leadership for inviting me here today. It's always an honor, but it's always such a sober moment because you know that you're just not worthy to stand up and speak to God's people. So it's always that moment of reflection when the Holy Spirit speaks to you also. And so I'm grateful to you that you've given me another opportunity where God could walk through some stuff in my life with me and could talk over some things in my life with me. And I'm so grateful to you. I know Eddie was outside when we tried to introduce him earlier, so I'm going to ask my family to stand. There's Eddie, there's my nephew, Ken, and there's my adopted daughter, Annie, and my godson, Noah. Thank you all for having me. And then I walk in here, and I see Lydia sitting right here. I got lots of children, right? So Lydia, can you stand up for me? There is my girl, Lydia. She's visiting. Can you? Good to see you. It's so good to see you. And I'm so happy to be in God's house. And I want to just commend the church for taking the time to reflect on breast cancer. It's one of those things that affect both men and women. You know, most times we talk about it, we think it's just women, but it affects both men and women. More women, I guess we have more fatty tissues and whatever other reasons, more women than men. So I want to congratulate you, Pastor Harding and the women's team, for taking the time to reflect and to have the church come to a space where you can gain more knowledge on breast cancer. I myself have walked that journey, and I remember my girlfriend, Allison. I met Allison through another friend. Fun, full of life, loved to shop. Oh, my God. She would buy the most expensive handbags. I'm like, girl, are you serious? She loved to shop, full of excitement. And I remember she'd gone on a vacation and um, routine check. She was a nurse, routine check. And then her doctor called and said, where are you? She said, I'm in Boston. And he said, I need to see you when you get back to Florida. And she said, what's going on? He said, you just need to see me. When she came back, she had a diagnosis of breast cancer. I remember her fear. I remember her panic because she had seen her mother die from breast cancer. And she always said she wondered which of the girls it was going to be. There were four sisters. She never thought it was going to be her. And I remember our journey, journaling in our 
we'd write in our journals, we pray, we cry, we talk, and she had so much faith and so much excitement. And I remember one of our last conversations, we were talking about what color wig she was gonna wear back to work. That was one of our last conversations. Apart from when I saw her one Wednesday evening and I said to her, what's your greatest fear? She said, I'm worried about my children. I said, what exactly are you worried about? I want my children to know God. And so we brought the kids in and we talked to them and we shared. It was 11.30 on January 9th, 2014, when the hospital called and said, you need to come. And when I went, she was gasping for breath and then she left. I remember Bev. Now, Bev was an angel. Bev laughed at everything. Bev never had a bad word to say about anybody, even the devil she had in her house called husband. I said it. I apologize. But Bev was like that. She loved everybody. Everybody was cool, and she was good with everybody. And she had already lost one breast to cancer. And she was willing to give the other one, but cancer had other plans. We also lost Bev. I've walked this journey with so many women, but that's not the end of the story because then we've got Deborah. Deborah had just become a Seventh-day Adventist Christian when she was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. And she was coming from the corporate world. And she made a decision that she was not having chemotherapy. God had to heal her. And she did a lot of stuff, changed her diet, prayed more, had faith, whatever. Well, Deborah is today a medical missionary. In 2014, she was given a clean bill of health. You see, cancer, breast cancer is different. And I do not stand here to tell you that her story ended different because of anything she did. Well, what I stand here to tell you is that it's so different for everybody. The journey is different. The end is different. The way you feel is different. The treatment plan is different. We need something different. And you wonder where in heaven's name can something different be found? And I know where. His name is Jesus. Let us pray. God, all I desire at this moment is that I be your medium. Amen. So the story I want to talk with us about today is going to come from the book of Luke. But before I go into the story, I love getting my children involved. So... Here's my treat for my kids. We're giving out little pieces of paper and something to write with. You need to write down every single text that I use in today's sermon. Everyone. And I know them. Every text I use. At the end of the sermon, I want you all to meet me at the door and I have a little token for you. Because here's a secret. Grown-ups don't listen too well. but they, they don't know that, right? We're not telling them. But children do, okay? So I want you all to listen very well. So today we're going to talk about a story. And notice I'm saying a story. Because oftentimes when we hear of the story of Jairus' daughter, and we hear of the story of the woman with the issue of the blood, we think it's two stories, correct? One story. And so today we're going to talk about one story. And maybe we can retitle it and call it Jesus' Daughters. I don't know. Be creative. Call it something. But one story that we're going to talk about. And this story was documented by three authors of the gospel, Matthew, John, and Luke. I figured that since Luke was a doctor, then Luke would have 
a little bit more intimate take on it, right? He is a medical professional, so he should have a little bit more detail on it. So I said, okay, I'm going to look at the story from Dr. Luke's perspective. And it's recorded in the book of Luke chapter 8, and it starts all the way from verse 40 down to verse 48. But then the Holy Spirit kind of reminded me that all scriptures are given by him. And among other things, they're there for teaching. So he said, how about Mark? You see, Mark was a professional scribe. Mark was an interpreter. So Mark was someone for details. He wouldn't miss any detail. So God said, why not take a look at Mark also and see how Mark saw the story? And then Matthew. Matthew was a teacher. So it means that Matthew's record of the story is going to have some gem in it for each of us. And so here's what I ended up doing. I ended up looking at a story from all three perspectives. Luke chapter 8, verse 40 down to 48. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 all the way down to 43. And Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through to 26. I decided to look at everybody's story. So walk with me as we look at the story. Jesus had had an extremely busy couple of days. He had been healing the multitude. He had been feeding the hungry. He had fed over 5,000. He had had conflict with the Jewish leaders. He had been super busy in the last couple of days. And even when he was tired, he was still healing. The scripture says in the book of Mark chapter 5 that he had compassion on the people. On seeing the multitude, he felt sorry for them. And so he couldn't even walk away. He couldn't even take a break because in his spirit, he heard the cries of his people. And so Jesus had a whirlwind time going on. And when Jesus decided to take a break and get in the boat to go on the other side as Mark described it, it was to meet the demoniac, reject of society, in a cave, by himself, taken over by the enemy. But Jesus heard his cries. Silent as his cries were, not in the crowd. He wasn't even allowed in the crowd. Jesus went across the other side to meet the demoniac because Jesus heard his cries. And then Jesus had to meet Matthew, a reject in his own right. He was a tax collector. Nobody associated with tax collectors. So he was a reject of his own way. But Jesus met with Matthew, had a conversation with him, because Jesus heard the cries of Matthew. I want you to hold fast to what we call an inalienable truth, which is Jesus hears the cries of his people. If you forget everything else I say today, do not forget this, that Jesus hears the cries of his people. And so here is Jesus, great multitude following him because, of course, words get around. He's healing everybody. He's compassionate. He's kind. He's feeding everybody. One writer, I think it may have been Mark, said that Jesus was at Matthew's house chilling. The other writers say, no, he was in a great crowd of people. So imagine this. Here is Jesus and all the flurry of excitement going on around him. And everybody is pressing. All of a sudden, the crowd parted. What's going on? Everybody moves out of the way. What's going on? 
And I like the way each of the authors said, behold, like, whoa. The only time I think of behold is behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. But Matthew and Mark and Luke both said, behold. I thought, okay, wow. Here's a crowd of people, excitement going on, and they interrupt this crowd to say, behold. The Greek word is that means pay attention. It's time to stop. Look what's going on. And guess who it is? Jairus. He's got status. He's got power. He's got a name in the Bible. He's got a title in the Bible. He's super important. And so Jairus is coming to see Jesus. Now, I, I, I kind of go back in my mind and I think to myself that the disciples must have been super excited. You know why? Jesus was always fighting with the temple leaders. He was always in conflict with the temple leaders. He was always hanging out with the rejects, people who were hungry, had nothing. They wanted Jesus to connect with the religious aristocrat of the time. So here was Jairus. Jairus comes before Jesus. And Jairus, think about it. Jairus is not ordinary. Jairus is important. He is a temple leader. He's in a position. Everybody knows him. That's why everybody parted the crowd to allow Jairus to come through. But in this moment, Jairus forgot all of those things. And I like how Luke explains it. Because we needed to understand, why would this leader of the temple be coming to bow down to Jesus. They don't do those kind of things. But the scripture said that Jairus fell at the feet of Jesus. Mark 5 verse 23. And he earnestly begged Jesus. What was his request? Luke says Jairus had one daughter. One daughter. She was about 12 years old. Luke gives us some background. And she was at the point of death. Kind of like the Karen story this morning that our sister gave. One daughter. And so this awesome man, this wonderful man who forgot everything about status and society and how he looked and his fancy clothes he was wearing. This wonderful Christian man did what all Christian parents should do. We throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus Christ for our children. And he hangs on to the feet of Jesus and he says, I beg of you, come, heal my daughter and make her live again. Oh, and I'm sure that everybody was happy. Jesus decided to go because that's who Jesus was. He had heard the cry of Jairus' heart. Jesus don't have no problem with important wealthy people. He loves them just the same. And so Jesus heard the cries of Jairus' heart. And the Bible says that he immediately left to go with Jairus. And I can just imagine how happy his disciples are. Now they're finally getting where they want to be. They're going to be hanging out with the right kind of crowd. And they're going to be in the house of the aristocrat. And Jesus is finally getting to connect with somebody who is important. But when I think about this his daughter, here's a 12-year-old child. And if any of you have ever had a sick child like my husband and I have endured, you can understand what that feels like. And when your child is at the point of death, as the scripture explains it, it is even worse. But this man knew where to find help. I don't know what you're going through with your children, 
but followed Jairus' example. He knew where to find help. Here was this girl, she couldn't find help for herself. She didn't know where to go. She had no idea. And even if she knew where to go, she wouldn't be able to go because the scripture says she was at the point of death. But she had a daddy. She had a daddy. And why she couldn't do it, her daddy was doing it for her. It's no wonder the songwriter said, I need the prayer of those I love. We too are called to intercede for those who can't intercede for themselves. And here was Jairus interceding for his daughter. And just imagine this now. So Jesus is on his way. Important mission at hand. I'm sure Jairus is happy. And so many times I've heard the middle of the story described as an interruption. Here comes So I'll use the same word for now. Here comes an interruption. An interruption that started 12 years before. An interruption that had been waiting for this moment. An interruption that had nowhere else to go. Nobody else to go. Had nobody to intercede for her. An interruption that doesn't even have a name in the Bible. She's simply the woman with the issue of blood. Her name could have been Dawn, for all I know. Could have been Michelle. Could have been Annie or Lydia. Could have been any of us. But the Bible gives her no name. Here comes an interruption. And this woman, what I like about her, and and Michelle, here's an, an opportunity for your women's ministry. Journey her on your prayer breakfast. Look at her journey on your prayer breakfast. But then that's another sermon. But here she comes as an interruption. Jairus said his daughter was on the brink of death. The scripture says that she had been bleeding for 12 years. By any stretch of the imagination, she's probably very anemic now. When Eddie and I go to the doctor, because my husband has multiple myeloma, whenever we go to the doctor, which is cancer of the bone marrow, we're always looking at the red blood cell count. Because when it falls too low, then he gets restless, he doesn't sleep well, he gets tired, he gets nauseous, he gets dizzy, he cannot function. So we're watching that red blood cell all the time. And she's been bleeding for 12 years. She must be super weak. I can only imagine with all this crowd around her how agitated it's making her. She probably doesn't have enough oxygen. She's probably just thinking one thing, what she has heard before. And the scripture tells us something else about her. Luke said she had spent all her money on physicians who could not heal. Remember, Luke is a doctor. So Luke needed to clarify that, right? Luke needed to say, I've looked at her case. I've reviewed her file. And I know that for all she's done, she could not be healed. And then Mark went a little bit further in verse 23. And Mark says, instead of getting better, she got worse. So now we begin to get a real complete picture of her. Twelve years, everything you've had, you've spent it. You're not getting better, you're getting worse. And if things could not get any worse, you're now a social outcast. 
You're now a social outcast because the scripture tells us in Leviticus chapter 15 that she's unclean. She's ceremonially unclean. The scripture tells us that anybody who touches her or touches anything she touches, they themselves have become unclean. So it's very unlikely that after 12 years of being filthy, of being contaminated, that she would have had a husband or a family with her. Nobody's daughter. So Jairus' daughter had a daddy, but she had no daddy. She didn't have friends like the paralytic man had who brought him to Jesus on a cot. She didn't have anybody. And so she had to go for herself. Have you ever felt like you've got nobody? Nobody's child? Have you ever felt just being just so alone in a crowd? Imagine that. But she had nobody. She's nobody's daughter. But she had a mission. And she had a mission because she had heard something. What did she hear? In Mark 3, verse 10, young people, she heard that Jesus had been healing everybody who came to him. And then in Luke 6 and verse 19, she heard that people were bringing their sick and just wanting to touch the hem of his garment. She heard those. She heard in Mark 6 and verse 56 that whenever he entered the villages and the cities, multitudes came to him with one desire to touch his garment. So she had a strategy based on what she had heard. The power of your testimony. The power of your testimony, church. How many times have you sat down with frozen tongues and closed mouth and not said one word? You have no idea who is around you who needs to hear. Who needs to hear that there's a man who heals and a man who forgives and a man who saves. How many times have you sat down and because it's not socially correct, you've said nothing? She had no pastor. She had no family. She could not enter the church because she was unclean. But she heard. She heard because somebody talked. The power of your testimony is what I want you to pull from that. She heard. And because she heard... The scripture says that faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. She heard, and so she decided, I just need just one touch. And I like to imagine what that must have been like for her. You're not supposed to be touching people. You're not supposed to be seen in the public. So I can imagine that she must have had on more stuff than anybody else with all that crowd and not having enough oxygen to breathe. And she was trying to be as inconspicuous as possible. She wanted nobody to notice her. All she needed to do was to touch the hem of his garment. And I know Jesus. I know Jesus. I know Jesus must have slowed his step. And Peter must have been saying, why aren't you even walking faster? I know Jesus must have decided that I'm going on on that side of the road because that's the side of the road that she's on. Because I know Jesus. He went out of his way through Samaria to meet the woman at the well. I know the Jesus I'm talking about. He crossed over the lake to meet the demoniac. I know Jesus that he slowed down 
because he was waiting. Oh, he was waiting. And he must have been spiritually connected and said, keep coming, I'm waiting. And she's going and he's waiting. And so Jairus must have been getting antsy by now. Master, we need to get moving. That's okay, Jairus, we are going. But I'm waiting. Jesus is waiting for the touch. You see, this is not a coincidental contact. This is Jesus waiting for the touch. And the scripture says that she reached out and she touched the hem of his garment. Mission accomplished. Luke chapter 8 verse 46 says, And immediately she was healed. And I don't know what that must have felt like because I remember myself when I could not walk one morning, my mom pulled the covers over my leg in Jackson Hospital and I said, Mommy, I felt that. And she said, what? I said, I felt the covers on my leg. And that was the beginning of my own journey back to walking. So I kind of put myself in her place that she must have touched him and she must have waited to see if she was going to feel something. And as the warmth kind of started moving up her arms and moving up her body, she must have wanted to shout, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. But she couldn't. She couldn't. Do you know why she couldn't? She needed to wait for seven days, as Leviticus chapter 15, verse 29 tells us, to show herself to the priest. And then on day eight, she could make a sacrifice. And so she must have stepped back, stepped back, hoping I'll just slip away with my happy, non-bleeding self. I'm just going to go on home happy, and I'm going to start checking off on my calendar day one, day two, day three. Oh, girl, I'm happy. Four and five, and she's waiting for day eight to hit when she can bring her turtle dove and go to the priest and say, I am healed oh but jesus has other plans and i just love jesus you see this woman pardon me a second man we can put some makeup on and we can put some clothes on and we can act like the world is good don't you know we can do that and we can smile and we can come and say oh happy sabbath girl how are you i haven't seen you all week and in our heart we are dying. I know men do it too, but I got to ask Eddie how they do it. So I'll get, I'll get you all another time. But Jesus understood something else. Remember I told you she's nobody's daughter? Remember I told you that she was here against the odds? Because she had nobody to take her there. Remember how I told you that she was not supposed to be in society? She's a reject. And I love how Luke says it. He says that Jesus turned around and he saw her. There's an ad on TV that says, see me. Don't see some skin disease, but see me. See me. I don't know if you've ever heard it. I mean, look at me. And the Hebrew word that was used there means connect with my heart. See my spirit. It says, Jesus asked, who touched me? And I know it wasn't a who touched me. I know it was a who touched me. Who touched me? And then, of course, you know, Peter has to jump in like, Jesus, seriously? 
are you seriously gonna ask? Uh, hold on a second. G what do you mean, who touched you? J just look around you. You can't even turn to the left or to the right. Seriously, Jesus? What? You're just wasting time right now. What, what do you mean? But Jesus didn't even answer Peter because Jesus needed to speak to somebody else. And Jesus said, someone touched me because I felt virtue go forth from me. Jesus was talking to his baby girl. He wanted her to understand that I have healed you. Jesus was talking to her, not Peter. Jesus didn't care what Peter had said. His response was for her. Imagine how frightened she is when she hears who touched me because now everybody's going to know she's there. But then Jesus says to her, I know you touched me because I felt virtue go forth from my body. And the scripture says, no, she comes forth. No, she feels like somebody. And no, she comes forth and she bows down before him. And Luke in verse eight, chapter 8 and verse 46 says, she told everything. You know, sometimes I got a problem with people. We don't like to talk about where God has brought us from. It's kind of like we are ashamed. But for me, I've always said, the messier I was is the more you know how God can clean. Does that make sense? It's like how are you going to test a detergent on a pure white shirt? It doesn't make sense. The fact that I am here is testimony that God specializes in mess. And so she fell at his feet, and the scripture says she told everything. And I, as I was going through the lesson and I was preparing, then God said to me, and where was Jairus at this time? Where was Jairus? Standing right next to Jesus. And she is telling that she was unclean. Now, Jairus is a temple leader. Don't forget this. So Jairus knows that the scripture says you ought not to touch anybody who is bleeding. He's standing right there and he's hearing that this woman was unclean. And he's standing right there and he's hearing her story. And then Jesus says something that made me cry. Jesus says, daughter. Oh my God. He didn't just say woman. He said, daughter. 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 You're not nobody's child. He said, daughter. So I thought to myself, this has got to be a different word from the word that Jairus used because Jairus has a daughter. Jesus doesn't have a daughter. So I decided to go and search the word, brothers and sisters. And I kid you not, the Greek word, giatera, daughter, female child, connected in love. Jesus called her the same word Jairus used for his daughter. What does that tell you? Jesus wanted her to know, baby girl, you've got a daddy just the same. Jesus wanted her to know, baby girl, you're not alone in this struggle. I've never forgotten you. And so while Jairus was hurrying to go to his daughter, Jesus had to stop to speak to his daughter. Jesus was speaking to her heart. Jesus was speaking to the pain that she's carried with her through all the years of the rejection and the frustration and the depression and the pain. Jesus was speaking to her inner soul that doctors cannot touch. Jesus is speaking to her spirit. He said, daughter. And then I thought, 
Where else did Jesus ever use this word in his ministry? Let's see if he was just pulling one of it. You always did. Jesus used that word twice. But the second time that he used that word is in Luke 23, verse 28. But he clarified that other time. He says, daughters of Jerusalem. So he clarified that he was talking about descendants. But this time, this time, when he talks to a reject, when he talks to an unclean woman, when he talks to a desperate sister, when he talks to one who's been a social outcast for 12 years, when he talks to one who got nobody, he says, daughter, daughter, don't lose it. Oh, Jesus could have healed her and walked on his merry way and she would have been happy. But Jesus knew that there is something else going on. And when Jesus touches you, he's not just touching cancer. You see, Jesus is not so concerned about the physical body and what goes on. He doesn't want to just touch the money you don't have or the children giving trouble or the cancer. Jesus wants to touch your spirit. Jesus wants to heal you completely. Jesus wants to give you a life that's full and complete. So he stopped and he said, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Girlfriend, he wanted to say, you've got something that's worthy of. You are somebody's child. You are not nobody's child. You've got a daddy. And I know in the Pentecostal church, they said, take your neighbor and tell your God, daddy, we're not doing that. But let me ask you, do you have a daddy? Do you have a daddy? You have a daddy? I got a daddy. And Jesus wanted her to understand, baby girl, you've got daddy. And just when we think the story couldn't get any more exciting, it gets far more exciting. The same story continues on. Here comes news. Same story. Don't lose me. Same story. Luke chapter 8, verse 49. Here comes another exciting part. Jairus, your daughter is dead. What do you mean exciting? Another exciting twist to the story. Jairus, leave the master alone. Your daughter is dead. In Leviticus chapter 15, verse through to 21 through, the scripture gives you an insight into the word unclean and who and who are unclean. You thought she was unclean before? Go check what Leviticus says about a dead body. It says that you shouldn't even go into the house where there's a dead body. Not even if it's your mother or your father. You shouldn't go anywhere near there. And Jairus, the temple leader, is standing there. He knows the rules. He knows what the the laws of the temple are. And now he's facing an impasse. Jesus is not even supposed to come to my house. But my daughter needs Jesus. And here is where it gets exciting. And here is where I want you to remember the power of your testimony. Jairus, work with me. Jairus stood there. And he heard the testimony of the unclean woman. Unclean, get the word. He saw Jesus' handling of the unclean woman. And now his baby girl falls into the category of unclean. His baby girl now falls in the category of unclean. 
brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that woman that so many times we've taken as an interruption in the story, she is Jairus' testimony that keeps him going. Oh, you never thought of that. Think about it. Jairus knows Jesus cannot by his, he's trained in the temple. He knows Jesus ain't coming in no house with no dead body until he saw how Jesus dealt with the unclean. Her life, her experience was a testimony to Jairus. She's not an interruption, no interruption. Without her, Jairus' story may have been very different. She's not an interruption, brothers and sisters. She, by her testimony, the unclean woman with no name, is a testimony to the temple leader with a name and a title. So you thought Pastor Harding is the only one who's got something to give? She has no name. But she is a testimony to the temple leader. She's not an interruption. Oh, Peter thought she was an interruption. Maybe Jairus thought it was an interruption. But now, when Jesus looked at Jairus and says, don't be afraid, just believe. Believe what? Believe not what just you've heard, but what you just saw. Because she's not an interruption. How many times have we cried and moaned and groaned about what we claim the interruptions in our life, brothers and sisters? The interruptions in our life sometimes are just a moment where God gives us to work our spiritual muscles for what is to come. The interruptions in our life are the time that God gives us to recoup. To get ready for greater things. The interruptions in your life are your opportunity to meet God in a whole different way. So that when that moment comes, you can look back and as she sang, Sister Clark sang, he'll do it again. There's no again if it never happened before. If there's no before, what again are you talking about? The interruptions are so many times distresses us. The interruptions are so many times we think, God, if only this wasn't happening. If only this hadn't happened, things would have been different. But no, I challenge you, the interruptions in your life, work your spiritual muscles during those times. Jairus' journey would not have been his journey had that woman not been there. The power of your testimony. Where was she in the story now? Gone about her business. She's done. She's gone. But her story lives on. You never know who you impact with your story. You may never see the results. You may never hear of the results. But you are called to tell what God has done for you. And when you've told it, there's somebody, I guarantee you, who hears. And there is somebody who's going to get a message. Don't be bothered. It's dead. It's finished. It makes no sense. But when that news come to you, praise God, you would have heard the story before. You would have seen the miracle before. You would have experienced Jesus' handling of uncleanness. And so, Jairus has got strength given to him by an unnamed woman with an issue of blood. When you think about her the next time, think about her testimony 
Think about the power of the testimony that she gave. Think about how she never even knew what was going on. She just did the natural thing, which was to praise God and tell him what he had done for her. That's what we are called to do. Tell what God has done for you. Tell what God has done for you. You don't need fancy words. You don't need training. You don't need a, a theological degree. Tell what God has done for you. And you never know. You never know who it is that is listening there. And we know the rest of the story. Jesus who conquers death and grave heads off the Jairus' house. He's got no reservation. He's, he's, a, he's a God over sun and sky and moon and land and seas and death and the grave. And so he walks into the house and he says, damsel arise. And she gets up. Just like that. Just like that. Why? Because the testimony of a woman had strengthened an amazing father that she had. And Jesus was able to meet the needs of two women and one man. Don't forget him. You see, woman, let me talk to you a little bit for a mile. We're not cheap. We're not buildings that get decorated and then get discarded. We're not ranked on a scale of 1 to 10 by our physical appearance that we've been hearing in the political arena. We don't expire at 35. We are God's daughters. Jesus stopped to tell you today, sister, I don't know what you're going through. And I don't know how much you're feeling that you're nobody's child. But Jesus is whispering in your ears, daughter. And men, you are amazing because when you know to fall at the feet of Jesus Christ, there's nothing that you cannot do. Fall at the feet of Jesus Christ because you are the leader of the temple. Don't miss it, other. You are the leader of the temple. And the scripture says, fall at the feet of Jesus. And so here we are, two amazing women, different backgrounds, different struggles, same Jesus, same Jesus. He meets both of them where they need to be met. He takes care of the needs of both of them in the way only God can. What is your struggle today? What is it that you are dealing with? that you've gotten a message that says, it's already dead, don't bother. Or you've tried everything that you can try. The money's done, the contacts, you've tried every contact you've heard of. You've done everything that you, people have told you you need to do. You see it on Facebook where you've done just about everything, but you cannot find what is it you're looking for. What is it in your life that's making you feel that you're nobody's child? What is the struggle that you're dealing with? How many years has it been? 12 years? 12 is a number of completeness. Means that you're at rock bottom. But I came out here today to tell somebody that whether or not you've got somebody to intercede for you or not, Jesus calls you child, daughter, son. I've come back here to tell somebody today that even if the messenger has come to say it's over, Jesus has got a plan. And even if society says you are no business coming out, all he wants you to do is to reach out. There's no power in the hem of his garment. Other people were touching the hem of his garment. There is no power in there. The power is in believing that God can do for you what nobody else can do for you. And when you believe, God waits for the moment to give it to you. 
It's like you got children and they do amazing. You want to you want to celebrate them. Jesus wanted to celebrate with her and he wants to celebrate with you today. I don't know what you're facing. I've walked this journey a long time. I've walked it with my husband. I've heard doctor tell me he's got three weeks left to live. I've walked it with him at times when he may not know when I, I don't sleep at night. I pray right through the night because I know I've got somebody who calls me daughter. And I know that when I sit on his lap and I say, Daddy, I got a problem, I know he's going to hear me. I've walked this journey with women who had the same faith, the same belief, and God says, go to sleep, my daughter. And I've walked this journey with women who's got the same faith, and God says, you shall live and not die. What difference does it make? The difference is in knowing whose child you are. That's what the difference is. I'm not coming here to tell anybody that with faith and trust, you're not going to get sick. Lazarus got sick. And though he was raised from the dead, he died again. Big deal. What I've come here to tell you today is that there's a God who hears your cries. There's a God who wants your testimony because your testimony has power. There's a God for whom you cannot be unclean enough. You're just not dirty enough for him not to come near you. It's just not possible. There's no place of dirtiness, if there's such a word, where God won't come. And I've come back here to tell somebody today that even if the professionals tells you it's over, it ain't over till Jesus says so. It ain't over till he says so. There are not always bright days in our lives, brothers and sisters. We got the days that we wish we never had. We've got the moments where, like Job, we question, Lord, why was I even born? But God changes not. God doesn't change. And because God doesn't change, your faith is anchored in surety. You know what that feels like to know that you can take this to the bank? You are set to go. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what a storm is like. It doesn't matter what the doctor says. It, it just doesn't matter. That's what it feels like to know that you've got a daddy. That's what it feels like. If you're at a place in your life where you've thought you have nobody, where you've thought that this makes no sense, it's been 12 years, it's been 20 years, it's been 30 years, it's been five years, it's been a year, and you feel sometimes, I wish I had somebody to intercede for me. Or if you're at a place in your life where you feel that there is somebody I can intercede for, there is somebody I need to be falling at the feet of Jesus for, if that's where you are, or if you've never met Jesus quite the way as she did or he did, if you've never quite heard the stories of how he heals and how he saves and how he restores and how he calls you daughter, If you've never quite experienced that, I'm going to encourage all three groups, just stand with me to your feet. Just stand with me. Because what we want the world to know, we want the enemy to know is that we've got daddy. We want the enemy to know that we have a daddy. We've got a daddy. I remember when I was going through my distressed time, I'd gone to the hairdresser on one of my very rare days of going out of the house. You know those days when you don't come out of the house? 
And one of the ladies in there, she said, is your dad alive? And I said, no. She said, oh, I'm so sorry. Because if your father was here, he'd comfort you. I know what it's like to want your father. I know what it's like to feel like a fatherless child. But Jesus has come by to tell, tell somebody. And he may say daughter because he was talking to a woman. But the call is still the same. My son, it's still the same. If you've been feeling that God has somehow forgotten, if you've been feeling that somehow you're not important to God, I've come to tell you today that it's not true. It isn't true. The scripture tells us that not one hair falls on my head that God does not see. It just ain't true. And whatever you're experiencing, experience it with excitement. You know why? You're building spiritual muscles for what is to come. You get that. Whatever it is, this is for that. You got to get through this, and then we will get over to that. If anybody today wants special prayer, walk to the altar. Jesus is here. He's never left us. If you feel that there's something in your life that the enemy has that's just not breaking the way you hope it would have broken and the time you want it to break it, just come to the altar for prayer. Pastor Harding, I'm going to invite you to just come with me. If you have a sense that I just need a touch, I just need to get a little bit closer, I just want to touch the hem of his garment. If there's something in your life that you're thinking, if only, if only, if only, only I could reach and touch the hem of his garment, then I'd be made whole. Then walk to the altar today because he's waiting for the touch. He's not stretching you on. He's not telling you meet him. He's saying, just keep coming because I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for you to touch me. I'm waiting for you to reach out to me. There is power in Jesus. It's never left. It's never changed. It can never change because God never changes. And I don't know what lie the enemy has been telling you, but I know the God that we serve. Oh, I've walked on the side when I've gone to the funeral of my own child also. I know what that feels like to be broken. But I also know what it feels like when God says, I've got a plan for your life. And I know what it feels like when God says, just reach out, Don. I just need you to keep reaching. Baby girl, just keep reaching. Just keep reaching, baby girl. I'm waiting for you. And that's what God is saying to you today. Whatever it is, he's saying, just keep reaching. My son, I'm waiting. Just keep reaching. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are the sympathizing God. You are the great healer. And so we come before you now as your creatures. We accept you as our only hope of a better life, a grander future, and more glorious opportunities. We want to thank you that we could meet here today. Lord, there are instances in our lives when we feel that the demands of life are so great and overwhelming that we can't go on. The pressures of life gets us down. 
And we feel so helpless. And sometimes it leads to frustration. But oh God, we are always very grateful when we can come to your house and there is a word for us. A word of encouragement. A word of hope. Just to let us know that despite what we are going through, we are not alone. For even when we walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, you are with us. And so Lord, we just want to thank you for this message of assurance this morning. And what you did for Jairus' daughter. Lord, you, you are doing it for us. What you have done for the woman with the issue of blood. You have done it for many more. And you are willing to do it for us also. And so de- today in faith and confidence. With assurance in you. We reach out to you now. And Lord. Without hesitation. We accept you in our lives. And Father, we pledge today to follow you for the rest of our days. Lord, there are those here this morning who are carrying the burdens of life. There are those who have been through many severe illnesses. But this morning they are here because you have been a good God to us. And so, no, God, I ask you that as you search our hearts, as we make ourselves bare before you, that you will accept our feeble offering today as we give ourselves to you. Oh, God, if there is someone here today who is doubting you, If there is someone here today who has not exercised that implicit faith in you and trust, I ask you today that this day will be a day of turning around. If there is someone here today, O Lord, who is wondering, Where is Jesus? Oh God, I ask you now that you will reveal yourself. In no uncertain way. If there is someone here today who is questioning the reason for existence. I ask you that you will lay gently your hands on this somebody. And whisper kind words just to say you are living for me and I am with you. I want to thank you for Sister Dawn today and for the message that she has brought to our hearts. Lord, we are encouraged that whatever befalls us in life, illness, persecution, pain, or sorrow, There is a friend named Jesus. 
And so if there's someone here today who has not given her life to you, who has not given his life to you, I pray that this moment will be the moment of decision. When that individual will say, Lord, I've wandered far away from you. Now I'm coming home. I now repent with bitter tears. Lord, I'm coming home. And so, Father, as we go today, we pray that this message will ring in our ears and that we will be determined in our hearts and in, that we will live our lives for you and we will be great examples. So those who are sick today, Lord, those who have survived breast cancer or any other cancer, we want to thank you. And if there are those, oh Lord, who are being bent beneath the burden of this illness, I ask you for healing today. I ask you, God, for total restoration. And I pray now that divine virtue will flow from you to that person so that there will be healing and restoration. Oh God, revive our spirit and help us to hold on to you, never to let go. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We are always encouraged to know how God is working through this ministry to touch lives. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email at podcast at saviinggracesda.org. As the Holy Spirit impresses you, you may also support this ministry financially by visiting saviinggracesda.org.